We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Now I've got an unlikely hero this week, while there's been lots of incredible performances on the mound and with lots of great hitting. My hero is one of the unsung heroes of the game of baseball, a young man called Joe West. Alan, does that name ring a bell to you? No, did he do something wild? He did something wildly impressive uh, and consistent. Now, I believe Dave Jr. has got the inside track on who Joe West is and why he may be my hero this week. So he actually he officiated in the, the White Sox game last night and there was a little banner, so I'm afraid I can't claim to have your level of knowledge, Richard. Uh, but Mr. West tied uh, the most number of games officiated during a, a non-postseason. I'm sure you'll have the numbers to hand, but I think it was up somewhere between around about 5,600 games. And you think that's, that's pretty impressive over that kind of length of career. So I believe that he tied the record last night. I don't know if the officials, if it's the same officials that are kept on for an entire series. So it may be in Chicago that he breaks the record tonight. Yeah, I think by the time that we, we go live for our listeners, I think he'll probably have broken the record. And I, I commend you. That was a, a nice guest there, Dave Jr. 5,375 games was a mark that he tied going equal with Bill Clem's previous record. Well, I was just including his AAA matches as well, Richard. That's that's all. Well, I, I know you're far more professional and detailed than I. Yorkshire, Dave, I know you've always had a soft spot for the guys for one of the, the toughest jobs in baseball, the guys that have to make the calls and often, you know, some of the, the players have to field difficult ground balls. The umpires often have to field abuse and some occasionally some disrespect as well. So well done to Joe West and, and to all the guys doing that very difficult job. Indeed, totally, totally agree. Uh, you know, I think in uh, in the world of sports, you know, you need a referee. Don't you? They're not always everyone's favourite, but I think the umpires in baseball are pretty cool guys. The guy behind the plate, they do take it physically, don't they? Quite often get hit by foul tipped balls, you know, and uh, yeah, they, they they can take it and uh, and also dish it out. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, respect. Uh, an example of his longevity would be the fact that he umpired his first MLB game before I was one year old. So that's going all the way back right. to 1976. And he's going to retire at the end of this season, but 43 years is the record tenure. And obviously he's going to, he's going to break that. But he was a National League umpire before he moved over to, to cover games in the American League as well. In 2002. Yeah, I think, well, uh, Carl Ripken is uh, rightly called the, the Iron Man of the game, and not he? And what was his consecutive record? 26 32. Uh, oh, yeah. Memory. 
But uh, yeah, 5,000 games for, for an umpire. He's the Iron Man of umpiring. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And as you can imagine, there was plenty of history in those games as well. He was behind the plate when uh, Nolan, Ryer had his, Nolan Ryan had his fifth career no-hitter back in 81. And when Willie McCovey hit his 500th home run in 78. And he also has a, a perfect game on his resume as well. To be fair, it was Felix Hernandez that pitched it, but it was uh, Joe West behind the plate back in 2012. Alan, I know you're a, you're a great believer in tradition and, and things like that. And you, you, as you're saying earlier on, you're not always a big fan of change. So having the same umpire for 40 odd years sounds like something that would be right up your proverbial street. Yeah, I've got so many questions. Just, uh, I'd love to, you'd love to sit down and have a steak and chips and a couple of beers with a guy. And he, he's ramped up the Holiday Inn or the Hilton Hotels point loyalty points scheme, hasn't he? I mean, how, how many souvenir beer mugs has he got from different stadiums that he's officiated in? What, what age is he? A young, 68 years young he is at the moment, so, Al. So I, I can get that he's capable at 68 of still officiating games. But, uh, I mean, that effectively means what he was in his early mid-20s when he started officiating MLB games. And it, it's like you occasionally see a youngish referee in football, but sometimes when you go to like a junior game or an amateur game and there's a guy who's like 23 refereeing a game of a bunch of a uh, strapping 32-year-old junior centre-backs, you think you've got to be pretty tough to be able to do that. And, and doing that at MLB level is quite phenomenal as well. So to tip my cap to Mr. West, very, very impressed and, and delighted to see that. And it's like we, we think there's a stat being thrown up every week in baseball and now, now we have one for the officials as well. So uh, it's just brilliant. I can um, see you. You can see you're feeling another Excel spreadsheet coming on, Al. I, I hope he's recorded every game. He's well. He doesn't need to, does he? Because there's people, there's people record every baseball stat. He's not. He's not going to be like me sitting in a pub one day, sort of thinking, "I wish I'd started recording all the football games I went to when I was four and a half instead of waiting till I was forty-four and a half or something like that." <laughs> so, absolutely fantastic. Am I right in saying? that it's a it's a crew that do a series. So he would be the behind-the-plate umpire in one game, but then he wouldn't be... He'd be doing another important role of officiating in the other games of the series, yeah. Well, no, I, that's absolutely right as well. And here's one, you know, we love a bit of competition in the bullpen here. Uh, we've got Hamish on hand to referee. So here's a... I can't take part in it because I know uh, and I'm not quite that big a cheat. But what would you guess the salary for a top MLB umpire? So Joe West's the best. How much do the top guys in the umpiring world make? Alan, do you want to kick off with a first guesstimate? So I'm going to be a pedant and say, is this per game or per season? Uh, we'll go for per year, I think, Alan. I think that's generally how, how it's coffee up. There's so many games, I can't see them. Ah. The expense account has got to be decent, but you're living out of a suitcase and the guy's dedicated his life to living out of a suitcase. So he, he deserves some reward for that. I, I can't imagine, they're, they're well paid in terms of us, but I can't imagine he, he's getting more than a quarter of a million dollars a year. Okay, 
Uh, Dave Junior, would you like to, as the old Price is Right game show used to say here in the UK, higher or lower? What are you going for? Ooh, oh, nice. Ooh. I would say that Alan's being very generous. We, perhaps America, uh, treats their sporting officials a whole lot better than we do, but I would imagine um, it's well south of quarter of a million dollars. I would, I would be surprised if it's much more than a hundred thousand dollars. If I'm being honest, I might be doing them a disservice, but there's a whole lot of travel expenses in there. It's it's not the worst job in the world to have. Let's be honest, Alan. We're not forcing them out on the road. Yeah. I think there would be multiple amount of crews out there, so I don't think they would work every. You know, I'd be surprised if they if they done more than two series a week, uh, maybe even just the one series. I, I could be wrong, but I, yeah, somewhere between a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I'd be really surprised if it was uh, if it was above that, knowing the way that these industries work. Okay, thanks for that, Dave Junior. Uh, Yorkshire Dave, you're from a part of the world where they know the value of their pounds and pence, and in this case, their dollars and cents. So what would you guess a top MLB umpire would be taking home annually? Yeah, it would be a total guess, and you can always tell a good question when you realise you've absolutely <laughs> no idea and never really thought about it. You know, I mean, when you go back to the, to the days of the uh, 60s and 70s and football referees, and, they, you know, they, they were paid like, I don't know, £100 a game, £50 a game, were they? they were, it was always, and the way even professionals, weren't they? that was always a thing, make a professional. I would imagine that the MLB, you know, is pretty well professional umpires and they're remunerated reasonably. But I was thinking 100 grand. So I'll go lower end of what they've said and say 100 grand. It might even be graded so that, you know, the top plate, home plate official, the senior guy gets 100 and the others might be less, but no idea really. Okay. Well, I think I could probably sum that up to say that Yorkshire Dave has been struck out in no uncertain terms. Dave Jr. got a bit of bat on it, but it's been comfortably thrown out at first base. Alan just about sneaked a base hit. But if you'd been after a home run, you'd have to realise that top Major League umpires like Mr. West collect a cool $400,000 the guys at the top of the tree, I think the starting salary is in the high 100s. Uh, and I guess given the amount of money floating about the game of baseball in terms of the contracts, etc., the amount of money it generates, I guess I would probably, have, in all honesty, going a bit higher than you guys anyway. I'm not sure they're going for that. I might have been looking at a quarter of a million or thereabouts at my best guess. But it's uh, So Mr. West has done his job and done it very well for a long time, but hopefully he's uh, been able to stick a few... Pounds away, or dollars away in this case, for a rainy day as well. Alan, does that surprise you? If it surprises me, I'd say I'm pleasantly surprised. I think when you look at the money going around in the game, these guys are fairly important. They're the guys that get a bit of criticism, however they do it. It's not like criticism a football referee would get, where a penalty decision is either right or wrong, depending on the team you support. I think it's generally... It seems to me to be easier to validate if they've made the right calls or not. And there is a Twitter page, is it Umpire Scorecards, which validates each umpire's performance. It, it's a good salary. I mean, I, 
I, I sort of half look on it and think, yeah, the, the expense account is good, but having travelled a bit with my job, I think the, the guy has lived out of a suitcase for 43 years, so I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. I think you'd have to be a certain type of character to be able to do that life for as long as that, I, w- I would have thought. Dave Jr., what do you reckon to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite taken aback. I think I might start uh, making sure that when, I, when I'm watching the umpires that oh, I think I might suddenly decide they're having a bad game after <laughs> heralding them for the last 12 months. <laughs> uh, no, do you know, it, it maybe doesn't surprise me when I think about it, how strong the unions are. You know, the voting mechanisms that, that these organisations have in place. I think I'm when I say I'm surprised, I'm really pleasantly surprised because the amount of money that, that is clearly made in the MLB that, that the players make, these guys are, are putting their families on hold as well. So I'm really quite pleased that they, they're earning that level of money. It's Maybe it's something that we could look at in, in this country. I'm sure the figures for our own referees in the football world are not anywhere comparable. No, absolutely. Although I can reveal from an impeccably placed source that when the likes of, for example, Willie Collum, Scottish referee, was officiating at European Games and Champions League, etc., I believe that payment was a four-figure sum, which isn't bad for for 90 minutes, uh, and a nice wee jolly to some of the choicer parts of Europe on occasion as well. But yeah, I I think those sums are, are kind of fair, and I guess it's like anything else at the top of the tree, you're very likely to earn quite a great, quite a lot more than those that are just in the start of their career journey. Mm. Of course, one of the most important jobs umpires have is to call strikes, and the umpire the privilege of, of calling strikes uh, when Mister Turnbull was doing his stuff this week was obviously a busy man calling all those strikes. Alan, what did you make of Spencer Turnbull's no hitter? Yeah, fantastic. Great for the ball club as well because it's a, a team that have been struggling. It's all well and good people saying, "Oh, there's there, there's more no hitters this year than than usual." There's been five or six, but there's a lot of pitchers out there. You, you, you're now immortalised. The catcher as well is a story worth thinking about as well. Eric Haas, uh, he had not long been called up. I think it'd been the AAA Toledo Mudhens, presumably he was at. So with, with injury. I think as opposed to COVID, uh, Eric was called up and imagine you're playing AAA, I was going to say in front of a few hundred people, but that's every crowd these days, but you're playing at that sort of level and then within a matter of days, you've packed your bags, again, you're you're back in a hotel in Detroit uh, and you've just caught a no-hitter. Seen the emotion on everybody. Jamer Candelario, I think, caught, caught the last ball. Fantastic. So it's exciting. When you support and follow a team who are not going to win anything, that's that's the big that's the big win. I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on the the, the, the no hitter sort of concept, Dave Junior. You you got some ideas? Yeah, it's more a, a, a slight anecdote, uh, and again, it really is quite interesting. The amount of no hitters this year. Uh, I know that the White Sox have never had more than two in the, the same season, so it'll be interesting to see if that's. You feel like every game just now, sorry, it's very common anyway, getting towards that fourth or fifth inning, you can quite often hear a commentator saying, well, no hitter yet, or sorry, no hitter so far. But last night for the White Sox, I thought it was quite interesting. So Lance Lynn, who's had a terrific start to the season, found himself in a position 
where you had uh, one of the, the Cardinals was sitting on third base and you think it's, you're into the fifth inning and Lynn's on a no-hitter, but you've got a guy who's, you know, was it 90 feet between from plate to plate? who's 90 feet away from, from opening the scoring when the pitcher himself is in a no-hitter, which is a little bit odd. Uh, in that particular situation, the the batsman had been walked to first base, then stole second and went to third on a sack fly. Um, and you did think, you know, what if you're in Lance Lynn, you could see the game out having a no-hitter, but you lose 1-0. Uh, it'd be quite a. You wonder if anything like that's ever happened before, but um, well, there's definitely a, a kind of spate of these this season. And as Alan alluded to, you don't want to see them diluted in the praise because it, you do notice a little bit in the media. Oh, another no hitter, and you know people are making little jokes or little memes, but it's a hell of an achievement for for that pitcher and the catcher and the overall team to to actually manage that. Oh, absolutely, that's a good point, Dave Junior. And I always think as well, there's almost some pressure, I guess, on yeah, as you mentioned, the catcher, the rest of the team, particularly as you get into that last inning or two, you wouldn't want the one to make a mistake that costs a pitcher, you know, a really unique opportunity there as well. Yorkshire Dave is a man who knows his baseball history. What do you make of the kind of the the, the frequency of no hitters? Should we just be praising excellent pitching, or could there be something more going on? It's um, exciting to see it happen. Uh, you know, there's been six this season, seven, if you include the seven-inning one that I think we mentioned earlier. You know, I have heard a few discussions about it, about why this might be happening. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I did look it up on the, the baseball almanac, no less, and since 1876, I feel that there's been 300 and 11 no hitters. So that's over a course of 145 years since the very first one when George Bradley of the, was it the St. Louis Brown Stockings pitched one. And then we had, as you say, Spenny, Turnbull and Corey Kluber um, back to back no hitters this, this week. So this century, you've had 63 Already, even last year we had two in a sixty-game season. So you have to, you know, Alan will know this as being a stats man. You know, you look at any sort of um, sequence of events, and you will see clusters. But six or seven already this season. We're just over a quarter of the way through. When the average is just over two a year, something seems to be happening. And <laughs> as the, as it would suggest. That maybe there are fewer hits. On the on the other hand, you you have conflicting arguments about there are more home runs. So you you suspect actually the batter's got the edge there. But there may be a connection actually that batters are going for home runs and not worrying too much about striking out as much as they used to do. I think back in the day. It used to be against a batsman, a batsman would say, well, he strikes out too much. Now they don't mind as long as he's getting the occasional home run. And you've got this technique of going for the launch angle. You've also got the shift in there, which is designed to <laughs> look at the, the stats of the hitter where he's hitting the ball. So this is when the infield 
his move from its original position to shut off um, the place where a particular batsman tends to hit his ground balls. So that is reducing the amount of hits in the game. So this is all contributing towards these no hitters. And the final thing is that I've heard, they're just saying pitchers are just better these days than they've ever been. So pretty much you go back 30, 40, 50 years or more, it's very unusual for a pitcher to have, you know, a 98 miles an hour fastball with some movement on it. Now pretty much every, every pitcher's got that in his armory. They're not pitching beyond 100 pitches unless, of course, they're going for a no-hitter. So all these aspects are creating an environment where you can get this proliferation of no-hitters. And uh, I don't mind it myself, but those guys that um, are historians and looking at the game are questioning it. And this is one of the reasons why they're talking about moving the mound back or reducing the size of the mound. Mind you, they can reduce the mound as much as they like, but these pitchers are tall guys, aren't they? Six foot five is a you know fairly normal. I know the big unit was um, was a tall dude, aren't they? But I think uh, the average height of a pitcher is you know compensating for any reduction in the amount of mound. So yeah, yeah, my conclusion, and I, I don't know as much as Dave. My conclusion was the same as his last point that people, the pitchers are better. So if you look at it statistically, the first 120 years, there was like two a season. Now it sounds like there's three a season. That This season's an awful lot more. I know people have mentioned the fact that last year's shorter season possibly has had an impact. But the, the way I look on that is people are getting better. So you, you often ask me about golf. The professionals today are better than they were 20 years ago. Uh, now, that's some of that's down to the equipment, but a lot of that is down to coaching, technique, understanding the swing. Probably a lot of it is down to power. So, yeah, the, the batter might have more power, but he's using the same piece of equipment. But if people have found ways to pitch the ball faster, to pitch the ball with more spin, put something else on a curveball that might not have been there before. That That's what they're ultimately aiming for. Are people, are young kids also motivated to play more baseball so it's harder to get to the big leagues because people are thinking that this isn't a game where you're going to go and get a decent pension and you're able to open a pub and, and make a few quid off that. This is now a game where you, you're earning big bucks. So it stands to reason that people who love the game will try harder and get better and better so I'm going with the main theory that the pitchers are just better I'm intrigued as well it's a fascinating subject watching a television spectacle is generally better to see hits and runs because so that's what you're sort of looking to see if if you go to because we don't go to many games if we went to a game you'd want to see hits and runs but when you watch football, you enjoy seeing great defending. You enjoy seeing great goalkeeping. You have to look at the game in its whole context. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of applauding the pitching. We, we ridiculed the Italians in 1970s and 1980s football for trying to get, calling a nil-nil a perfect game. But hey, nobody's making a mistake. 
Absolutely, Alan. And just for a change, I'm going to be controversial and cause a bit of a bust up here. So we reckon, do we, that, that pitching is better now? Is that a, I know Alan and Yorkshire, Dave, are of, of, of that mind. Dave Jr., just before I, I, I come in on that point, what's your view? I reckon the elite are better. I, I think if you still look across the scorecards, you're still going to see high-scoring games. You're seeing just as many home runs, uh, if not more at, at times. Uh, I haven't done as much analysis as Dave, but you wonder if maybe in the last few years there's perhaps been a lower amount of no-hitters or perfect games, and is the game just catching back up this year? If this year might not be the freak, they might, the freak might have been the last five or ten years when we haven't seen as many because we still seem to be seeing high-scoring games or we still see pitch counts going up quite high in the first, second and third innings and pitchers being taken out of the game by their manager. Um, so you wonder if it's the very elite or, or the best are now being shown in a better light? Yeah, I think that's a good point. So I'll take it one step further. I would be the first to admit that pitchers never faster. And as you say, Yorkshire Dave, a lot of them have got very hot stuff in a way that in years and decades going past... That was more of a rarity. I don't think they're better per se. And I know, I'm sure there are stats and, and Alan will know them to prove it one way or the other, but I, part of me thinks pictures were wilier back in years gone by. If you didn't have that heat, if you didn't have that speed, did you have to be cleverer with how you pitched? Did you have to find new and different ways to get, to get your guy out? So I'd be interested in what our listeners, most importantly, think are Yorkshire Dave and Alan in the right? Is Dave Jr. with his kind of halfway house? Is that where you want to sit? Or are you with me and longing for the old days where crafty pitchers were, were using all of their skills and wiles to get the, the batters out? And Alan, for our listeners that want to contribute to that debate to tell us which of the bullpen bros is right and who's wrong, how do they get in touch with us to do that? We'll put a wee chat topic up on Twitter during the week, getting people's opinions on that. I think it would be really good to hear. I liked Dave's Dave Junior's point actually about elite because I'll, I'll bring that back to golf again, where we're now seeing the pros hitting the ball 350, 400 yards. I mean, they've added the top guys have added 100 yards on to their game. Bryson DeChambeau, not not a big fan of Bryson's, I'm afraid to say, but he's done a lot of work just to get that power up there but what they say is the average handicap of an amateur golfer is no different to 20 30 years ago so we've made all this improvement in the ball and in the equipment but it's not helped the amateurs but the guys at the elite they've managed to get in there and do that so it's a good good observation but the the, the cream is certainly rising to the top and is a cream tastier so let's find out your thoughts on twitter Fantastic. Thanks for that, Alan. And I think it's also worth mentioning just a week, well, less than a week after a man who many thought was from a bygone era in the world of golf, Alan, I suspect one of your heroes, proved that veteran Wales can defeat big hitting youth in one of the, the golf showpiece events. Yeah, Phil's not short of a yard or two, but he's fantastic. And I was more concerned that he's now the oldest person ever to win a major, but I still look on him as a young man. So <laughs> I don't know where that places me in life, but uh, and maybe it should reassure me that as my game is getting worse and worse, that, that there's hope for me. Yeah, I'm going to come back with that Phil's Kiowa Island performance this weekend, I think. 
Excellent. I knew you'd be a fan of young Phil, as you referred to him, Alan, so that, that doesn't surprise me at all. So it's a, if it's okay, guys, I've got a couple of quick nominations for heroes and villains, or hero and villain. You might well have some yourself. Um, slightly unusual hero. We have talked about Spencer. We have talked about Miggy. But I wanted to give this to our new friend, Rob, from Astros Baseball. A uh, recent episode of Astros Baseball, Rob and Michelle were having a chat, and he's my hero because he did the most fantastic Scottish accent in his podcast. And I think that should be compulsory for any guests on the Highland Bullpen going forward. Well, actually, you know what? We'll give him the highest praise possible. We'll actually refer to him as Rab going forward, which is what all good Scotsmen call people called Robert. So that's the, the highest accolade we can give here in the bullpen. The villain of the week, I'm going to hold my hands up here and I'm going to take the award myself. And our fantasy baseball team were beat, which is understandable, but it's going to happen. Somebody forgot to put Spencer Turnbull into our lineup. And I just think it's unforgivable. Uh, I'm working hard on forgiving myself. I've not considered an appropriate punishment yet, but it's um, it's broken my heart, Richard. I have to say, Alan, that our show mascot, Hamish, the, the, the Highland Bull, is particularly annoyed that you'd ever drop an MLB player with Bull in his name, Alan. So that was obviously karma for you not putting him in the lineup. And he's been snapped up. We had him once or twice. We were bringing him in and out because we we probably shouldn't say it. We didn't see that he was a, a target for the other teams, but he's been snapped up now. So... We'll still wish him well during the season and we'll keep an eye on him. Will, will the other team hold their nerve and keep him? We'll see. Oh, Alan, you've stolen my thunder. I had you down as the villain of the week as well. Oh, no. <laughs> Twice. Any other heroes or villains of the week that we've not covered either of our two Daves? Boston brought in this guy, Danny Santana. And um, he's 30 years old, so he's been around. They picked him up. I can't remember who played. He played for a couple of other teams. And um, he's, uh, you know, he's quite a stocky individual. He's from the Dominican Republic. And, you know, Boston has got, uh, had some great Don Rep players in, the, in their lineup in the, in the past. And he, he hits for power. And he hit a home run in his first two, two games for the Red Sox. But he also he has speed. And he's not afraid to go for it. You know, the other the other day he hit a double and he, he dove into second. And you've never seen a dirtier uniform in your life. He actually got called out second place, but they took it to review and he was awarded the base. And then he looked up. And he wasn't just dusting his jersey down, he was actually digging out bits of <laughs> dirt from that got inside his. His jacket, and you know, thankfully it wasn't the the home jersey, the white one. It was the dark blue one. Otherwise, and it, they don't change them, do they? During the game, you know, he just wore it for the rest of the game. And uh, yeah, he's one to look out for. I think he'll, you know, you know, depending on th- how things go, he'll steal you a base. I think uh, so. It might be one for for our fantasy team because yeah. it, I don't think he's been snapped up yet. Danny Santana. We'll keep an eye on his fortunes. It sounds like he tried to dive under the base, let alone at the base, to be honest with you. Just about, but, you just <laughs> to keep hold of it. <laughs> and to use a good Scottish word, it sounds like his uniform was properly manky. 
which is a top Scottish word that we recommend using at every opportunity. Now, of course, that talk of uniforms leads us on nicely to, believe it or not, the follow-up to our previous trousers chat when we spoke (laughs) previously about sports and which trousers uh, are worn uh, and tried to work out how many of them we could identify. Now, Alan, for the benefit of listeners that might have missed that, one of our more out-there discussions previously, we were talking, were we not, about which sports people played wearing trousers and obviously baseball is king among them yeah, I think it was our favourite listener and apologies to every other listener but it was our favourite listener Archie who asked that question and I think the whole context of his question was are there more athletic sports where they wear trousers I think we immediately went to darts and golf although there were comments from the two Daves to my left here that they're not sports I don't know where they were getting that concept from. Is what is the most athletic sport you can participate in wearing trousers? Well, Alan, for the benefit of our listeners who are unfamiliar, there's a Scottish sport that we're very proud of, but might not be known to much of the wider world, that involves the wearing of trousers for a specialist position. Yeah, so shinty. Shinty will be the most equivalent thing you guys would get this at is, is field hockey. Probably a little bit, shall we say, rougher <laughs> and tumbler than field hockey. And it's a game generally off the highlands. The hockey stick is called the Cayman, C-A-M-A-N. They bash this ball around the park. But the goalkeeper, the teams wear proper kit. We'll find some pictures. There'll be video on YouTube and what have you. The big event is the Kamenich Cup final. But the goalkeeper, for some reason, he pretty much turns up in a pair of work trousers and a, and a sweater. He, he now wears, he generally wears a helmet these days because it can be a fairly dangerous sport, the, the pace this ball comes in at. It ended it quite a good bit whilst Alan was in mid-floor. <laughs> and nearly ended it the best bit just before he started. You're getting it tight this week, Alan. My apologies. He has turned up from his work in the garden on a Saturday afternoon to play shinty. Uh, and it's the most dangerous position on the field, I, I would imagine. Uh, as the guard's athleticism compared to baseball, he, he's got to be a lot braver. He's got to be running out a wee bit to get the ball. He's got to be alert. He, he's not got that 90 feet dash that uh, players would have, and he's not got that running to go and catch a ball. Uh, it's, it's worth a decent shout. Thinking back, you know, well, not that I remember it in, uh, in, in person, but uh, they male tennis players would have played uh, in long trousers in Wimbledon back in the day. You know, I think in the 30s, uh, Fred Perry, not only did they play in, you know, sort of proper trousers, but with turn-ups as well, I'm sure. You know, he probably could have gone out for the evening in his in in the same the same gear, got allowed into his into his gentleman's club back in the old amateur days of, of sport. But yeah, they, I'm I'm pretty sure there was a guy in the 70s or 80s who wasn't uh, who qualified for Wimbledon and but was the lowest ranked player in the tournament. He wanted to sort of milk a moment. I I don't I can't remember his name. But I'm pretty sure he decided to dress in 
long trousers and in the garb of the classic 1930s and it melts the moment, so I think. Absolutely. Uh, Alan, just thinking there, I mean, you've painted a really good picture of Shinty. I'm just trying to think there's anything to add. Played by amateurs as well, Alan, is that correct? Is it an amateur sport? Yeah, yeah I would imagine so. I'd imagine they're, they're, they're probably expenses and a, and a 10 or 20 quid or whatever for, for playing. It's very prestigious in, in the communities. Newton Moore, King UC, Oban, uh, a, a lot of the big highland towns and villages. I think this might be quite similar. I talked about field hockey. Um, ice hockey is an interesting one because I think this is the same thing here as well, but King UC Golf Club has the highest number of left-handed golfers in the world or the biggest proportion. And that's because most of them play shinty. So you effectively play shinty as a left hand as in like a left-handed pose. So then becomes very natural to the guys who are right-handed to play golf left-handed. And I think the Canadian golfer Mike Weir was a <laughs> hockey player because there was some crazy fact that uh, Phil Mickelson and Mike Weir, uh, both left-handed golfers, but out, weren't actually left-handed. I've Phil Mickelson's a lefty, isn't he? Big Phil, sorry. Big Phil. <laughs> or young Phil Talon, as, as he clarified uh, earlier on. Should point out as well that basically Shinty, like hurling, the you know the Irish game that's not too dissimilar, basically involves lots of very tough guys hitting each other and occasionally the ball with big sticks. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the start of a game, for those of a weak disposition, it's not the first pitch, it's not the kickoff. It's the best title ever for starting a game. It's called a throw-up. Yeah. So it's like a Saturday morning in, in Soggy Hall Street. <laughs> yes, it's very reminiscent of the, the favourite setting for bar battles between uh, drunks and, and Glasgow. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a good sport. And Alan, just to, to finally round that off and delight our American listeners in particular, I suspect, could you tell us again what the name of the most prestigious competition in Shinty is? It's the Kamenacht Cup. Uh, so Kamenacht is a Gaelic word. And, and I think, to be honest, it's the Gaelic word for Shinty. So it's the Shinty Cup because the game is governed by the Kamenacht Association, which will be the Shinty Association. Am I right in saying, I'm sure you've told me this, but the, the, the word cam is um, crooked, which uh, goes to describe the Shinty yeah. stick. Yeah, uh, the, the caiman or the caman is crooked, but it's obviously crooked in it, and, and obviously you, that's why it's a is a stick to hit something with. But cam means crooked, and for those of you Americans interested in genealogy, I'm a Cameron, uh, and fortunately that's a nice simple one of a crooked nose. It's quite, <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. If you're a Campbell, you've got a crooked mouth. No, we'll not say any more about that. We don't we're gonna get into any clan warfare yeah. on this program. Yeah, let, let's not relive Glencoe. But that was a fantastic piece there, Alan, and thanks. And I learned a lot there as well. So I'm sure our listeners around the world will have done as well. We'll move on from there to, to the fantasy league, which has become the Bullpen Bros League is in danger of turning into procession as Dave Jr.'s uncountable changes in tinkering continue to propel him further up in top spot. 
So congratulations to Dave Jr. for his recent dominant streak. But for the for the bullpen team as a whole against the world of podcasters, Alan, obviously we, well, you have to, you, you can't enjoy victory unless you've, you've experienced defeat. So we'll bounce back from that, no doubt. But how are we shaping up in that yeah. British Broadcasters League? I think that's a very philosophical way of looking at it. We were we encountered our first defeat 5-4 against Big League 2. That's not a train podcast. That is actually a baseball podcast. And that's one of my better jokes. So we were beat 5-4. Quite a lot of tight categories in there. We were always a wee bit behind the curve on that. But there were quite a few we were... We were we were hampered in a few, but there was a few we were quite close to. We remain in third place, although there was a change in the the, the top table topping birds with balls. They hammered fly ball to the moon, who were in second place, putting them down to fourth. So angels over the pond go to second. Not to worry you guys, but I did do a quick analysis of the birds with balls because they're shooting away with us. If we had played them last week. Uh, the score would actually have been 10-0, and I won't say who for. That's probably as one-sided as my Mariners recent encounter with the Padres, Alan, so I'm, I'm glad we're maybe savouring that contest for a later moment. <laughs> uh, and if we've just lost 5-4, Alan, if only we'd had some, I don't know, for example, some some informed pitcher throwing no hitters, that would have been terrific, <laughs> wouldn't it? I, I, I don't even... I, uh, what, what, what can I say? This week's a busy week. We've got... The Red Sox have got two games less than the other three teams, so I think the, the tactics is to focus on those three teams and see what we can come up with. Excellent, excellent. And and how many, for the benefits of listeners who maybe haven't heard this piece before, Alan, how many teams are in that Baseball Podcasters League? There's 16 different podcasters ah. in the UK League. So, yeah, we're, we're sitting in third place. We've... I suppose with six wins and one defeat, or five wins, one draw and one defeat, it's not a surprise we're we're fairly near the top. I can hope. I think the top six go to the playoffs. So this week marks halfway through the regular season at eight games. So there's a little bit of pressure on there, but uh, I think our boys can come up to the mark. And Dave Junior, with my schoolboy arithmetic, I reckon that means we're, we're scoring about seven eighty or something like that. Alan, I think with five wins and one draw, one defeat out of seven. Seven matches there, so that's pretty impressive. That would certainly see us leading the pack in in the world of MLB. So, Dave Junior should be proud of our, our opening stretch. Absolutely, I, I'm quite gutted that you didn't give me an opportunity to further mock Allen, which feels very uh, doesn't feel right to me. Um, oh, no, we'll just redo that. But don't worry, we'll we'll just redo. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about our interbro fantasy league now and reference? Oh, <laughs> That'd be perfect timing. Uh, no, we've had a great record so far this season. It's been it's been really really good. Again, I think it's really interesting the way that we've decided to do things. Just picking from our four teams, we've had a really really good run. There's clearly some teams out there that have it that know a know what they're doing, but b when to do it. I, I think we never had any dreams of of winning that, but I think we're, we're doing really well considering the, the way that we've limited ourselves to that. Um, so as much fun as it is to have a laugh at Alan, um, he just maybe needs to put some more time in, if I'm being quite honest. <laughs> you don't want 9am texts anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, to be honest, you're doing too much of that kind of selfish sleeping thing for several hours a day. That's that's useful time that can be devoted to further baseball management, I reckon. Yorkshire Dave, you, you've also been, you and Alan are very much co-coaches for the Highland Bullpen team, so I guess we can be fairly proud of our performance so far, given, as Dave Jr. rightly pointed out, we've chosen to, to make it tougher. We've chosen to, to take the hard road and restrict it to players from our four teams. Yeah, not only that, it's that we, we really, to be truthful, we didn't have any idea of, of how it works, did we? So, you know, we did think that we were 16 teams. We were told that you were pitched against a different team each week. But it's not a straightforward win-lose, is it? There are 10 categories, five batting, five pitching. So, you were, you know, you were scored on each one of those categories against the other team. And then the result is, you know, you can't have an actual tie in certain categories, but, you know, you can win 6-4, you can draw 5-5. So over over the seven, is it seven weeks we've had now? I haven't got the figures at hand, but we've won something like 36 categories. Uh, I think we're over 600 in percentage terms and we got a couple of ties so um, we're in third place and uh, you know I think it's remarkable really we've made one or two mistakes but we've made some great I mean Alan to be fair he's made some absolutely great calls that was, was it week five that we were behind on two or three categories and he made some last minute <laughs> trades and uh, got us over the line, got us an extra stolen base here and uh, a save there. It was was, uh, great fun and it really does, you know, as if baseball wasn't, you know, exciting enough already, we've got our fantasy (laughs) lead to to follow as well. It really is good. And, and, you know, it's great of Jason... You know, a good good friend from Dugout Classics to put us on to this, and um, he set it all up, hasn't he? And it really is a well-run tournament. Absolutely. And talking about Jason, and we mentioned earlier on about those kind of filthy uniform after that slide into slide into the plate. If you're after some nicely clean, pressed, and starched baseball apparel, do visit Dugout Classics. They've got fantastic gear for lots of teams and great prices. And, and Dave Jr., they get plenty of good stuff for the kids as well, haven't they? They do. You know, it's, it's quite um, interesting that you've just mentioned that, Richard. Uh, I get a lovely message from Jason during the week saying that he might be able to source some some White Sox-related paraphernalia for the wee guy. Um, so he's going to have a look into that for me. Although the wee guy might be a bit annoyed to find out that his team has moved from LA to Chicago. They're young, they can adapt. Don't, don't worry, Dave Junior. Don't worry. And we'll hope to have Jason back on, uh, joining us in the Highland Bullpen in, in the near future as well, as a very popular guest and well worth checking out his appearance and, and looking back on the past episodes of the Highland Bullpen for lots of great content. Now, one of the, the, the stats categories where which obviously we've Alan's moneyball style mastery of of spreadsheets and figures has helped us do well in, is the ERA. Now, I think we, we know ERA is a, is a well-known phrase in baseball. Is it earned run average? Is that correct? Yes. Absolutely. So I think 
Yorkshire, Dave, you were going to main talk a little bit about some of the other kind of categories and stuff like that and where they fit in. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. The ERA is, you know, the, a real traditional measure of how uh, a pitcher is doing. And it's a, it's a representation of the number of earned runs. So not just runs scored, but runs which um, count against the pitcher. Um, and it's it's per nine innings. So, you know, more often than not, a pitcher doesn't, you know, a starting pitcher doesn't pitch a full nine innings. So you've got to do a bit of um, arithmetic. So um, I'm not going to do this uh, on, the, on the top of my head, but, you know, if he, if he gives up three innings and this makes no account of... Uh, so if a, if, a, if a runner reaches base on an error or even, even a pass ball, I think, or a, maybe not a wild pitch, um, and that runner gets home, it will not necessarily count against the pitcher's earned run average. But the other, one of the other categories is WHIP, W-H-I-P, which is, <laughs> let me get this right, walks plus hits per inning pitch. So this is not the nine innings, so this tells you um, nothing to do with the earned run, so this is not run scored. This takes account of a pitcher who may walk a batter or a guy who may get a hit and reach base through a hit, but not necessarily get home and score a run. So um, the a good whip is <laughs> is uh, basically if you see a whip around one point zero zero, so that's seen as actually better than good, really excellent, or so anything one or under. So that's a pitcher who is not allowing a walk, more than one walk or hit per innings pitched is excellent. Whereas an earned run average, probably between three and four, anything under three is considered really top class. So yeah, you've got to, (laughs) you know, these are the two categories which we didn't do too well on last week, did we? I don't know who our opponent had pitching for him, but at one stage, his ERA was zero, wasn't it? And he, he'd had, uh, you know, he'd gone through about 15 innings. Yeah, so he must have had, I don't know, a couple of superheroes pitching for him. But that, that's, the, that's the way it goes. So, uh, yeah, you've got to keep an eye on, on these stats, who's walking more batters and uh, very interesting it's good, good explanation because I, as a relative novice, I was confused at two measures against how the pitcher is allowing people to score or hit are actually quite different because you're sort of assuming that if he's allowing walks and hits, he's going to be allowing runs, but that's not necessarily the case. So it's quite fascinating it was, it was good explanation, and, and we, we yeah. chatted a bit about it during the week. So thank you for your. your yeah, I think quite often um, they look at a pitcher's stats as um, strikeouts versus walks. So I think uh, you know because if you put a man on base without the guy having to make a hit, quite often you will hear commentators say 
that run was scored. The, the run that scored was the guy that he walked to first base with nobody out. You know, so, and he's the one that ends up scoring. So um, yeah, it's it's all uh, the stories behind the stats. When David mentioned that in the chat group during the week, uh, I'd done a quick check on Google uh, and just searched for a right good whip. Um, <laughs> just watch what you do, guys, okay? Watch what you do. Yeah, so, some so, some items aren't available at Dugout Classics. Just one uh, so leading on a wee bit from that in the pitching category, because I know Dave and myself as, as co-coaches, we discussed the, the saves and the holds category. So... Something happened last night. It must happen all the time, but it intrigued me. But the Mariners, the Mariners came good for us last night with on the pitching side a win and a hold. But they also had a player who has recorded a save in the game as well. So a, a hold is not an official MLB category. It is used by a lot of scorers. It is used in the fantasy league. But you can have three different pitchers in the same team accredited with a win, a hold, and a save. I, thought, I just thought that was... So, I mean, that from a fantasy league perspective, if you can work yeah. out guys are going to do I, that. I, I think when we initially saw that category, didn't really know. It's SV plus H, didn't we? And we didn't really yeah. know what that was. So, you know, the save is those genuine rules for that, aren't they? They've got to, you know, the closer... It doesn't necessarily have to be the closer. The closer usually comes in. Um, I think he's got to save opportunities where he comes in with three or fewer runs lead, and he's got to hold that lead yeah. and get a certain number of players out. The hold, you know, as you say, is probably an unofficial category. I think some official scorers back in the 80s thought that certain relievers were doing a good job and not getting credited with anything. And it probably made their job more interesting as well. And they created this so uh, this category of holes. So I think if a reliever comes in, say, in the eighth inning with a two or three run lead and he gets at least one batter out and holds that lead for the uh, closer to come in, and get the save, then he will be credited with this um, with this hold. It's quite important for fantasy uh, yeah. leaping to find out who are getting these holds, and uh, it, you know it can it can make the difference of winning that category or not. Absolutely, and obviously those wins or losses for all those teams will determine uh, the, the final fantasy positions within. Within the bullpen, and, and just before we move on and, and and wrap up with our look look ahead to, to what the next seven days holds for our teams, we should probably give Dave Junior the opportunity for one last gloat that after making a mere eight hundred and forty seven trades, he's uh, marching ahead at top spot in the in the bullpen bro league. Oh, thank you, Richard. Um, what I would uh, go on to mention those we've got our. We really do need a name for it. I think we might need a sponsor if we can kind of reach out to all these different sources out there. Uh, we do need a name for this particular particular league. But when it comes to our four teams, so to remind listeners, that's the White Sox, the Mariners, the Red Sox, and the Tigers. We each re- sorry, we all record the results between those four teams, and it's quite interesting. The Tigers 
Uh, they may not be having their best season on record, but they've moved up a spot in that four-team mini-league. I, I can't remember who they, who they... Did you sweep someone, Alan, last week? Yes, we swept a team on the West Coast. Ah, OK. Uh, those pesky Dodgers again, huh? It ended the RS, yes. Richard should be quite glad that the series came to an end because over the three games, the Tigers were only becoming more dominant. Four runs, five runs, six runs. I think we know the Magnificent Seven might have rolled in as, as times went on. But you do have the chance, Richard, when you travel to Detroit in a couple of weeks' time, there's a three-game series there, uh, which, which would be good. But the Tigers now sit at a 5-5-6 five, five, record. Uh, one four, lost four. Sorry, one five and lost four. Um, so that's been the only action just now. Um, but the next uh, goings-on between the teams is a four-game series in Chicago uh, when Detroit, again, make their way, uh, not, not too far a distance, but a four-game series uh, from the 4th till the 7th of June. Excellent. And in the White Sox still atop that league, or is it the Red Sox atop that league at the moment, Virginia? The White Sox. The White Sox. Oh, okay. uh, the Red Sox haven't had a... Much action going on recently. Their last uh, appearance was a three-game series against the Tigers, though they did win that one, two-one to just uh, pop Allen's, uh, put Allen's gas at peak. <laughs> and well worth the doing. Now, of course, much as I love beating the bullpen, but always there's one thing I like even more, and sadly something that's not happened for me for a while. But my Mariners are taking on the Texas Rangers. So I'm looking to get some victories against the Rangers, oh. which unfortunately for my myself and my fellow football fans uh, hasn't happened much in, in recent times. But so those uh, Rangers and the Oakland A's are the guys that the Mariners are looking to try and uh, get some wins against. Dave Jr., what's in store for the White Sox? I just wonder if you can see the Rangers coming, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to cut this bit out. We're running along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so over the next week, we um, we started our, our week off pretty well, our bullpen week. Uh, with a, uh, We welcomed the St. Louis Cardinals to Chicago and uh, we swept them away pretty well. Uh, just you know, one game, one game, but two more over the next coming nights. I think I mentioned last week, but we've got 31 games over 31 days coming up. And that's another two games against the Cardinals with four then come up against the Orioles, who are not performing too well just now, before we kind of kick the month off against Minnesota, who we seem to play a lot recently. But um, yeah, good to get these games under our belt. I think one thing that's coming to my attention, the more that this season plays out, you know, last season was a real freak show when it comes to fixtures, but winning those games against your inter-division rivals are it's almost like the proverbial six-pointer to bring things back to Scottish football. If you can distance yourself from those other teams, it's not that the other games don't matter. It's great to pick up those wins. Putting your rivals to the sword is, is really quite good just now. And tonight, uh, for the Boston Red Sox, they're, they're playing the, the Atlanta Braves. We've got a couple of games there to play tonight as we record this. And tomorrow evening, possibly some fairly tough contests there. But you've then got the Marlins after that. Yorkshire, Dave, is that an opportunity to, to keep the momentum going? Well, yeah, both uh, both those teams are sort of slightly under 500, but only just... I think they're, they're both uh, National League teams. So it's an interleague, two interleague series, isn't it? So that'll be quite interesting back at Fenway. 
where actually, funnily enough, you know, normally Boston are really quite strong at home, but this this, this season that's not been the case. So we'd like to see them uh, you know, turning it on a little bit for the, the fans that will be long before they've got a full house in there. I think at the end of the month, they take on the Astros in a series. I think that might be down in in Houston. And uh, just hearing you talk about Texas reminded me of that. About when we spoke to uh, Rob and we were asking him about the rivalry with the Texas and uh, both him and Michelle refer, like to refer to them as the Arlington uh, Rangers. And they've had a series quite recently, which is which I've seen described as the loans, either the Lone Star series, uh, you know, reflection of the the Texas Lone Star State, or the Silver Silver Boot State. We need to look into that a bit further. Not the Silver Bullet, but the Silver Boot series. As a youngster growing up in, in Scotland back in the day, back in the eighties. America held a lot of glamour, but there's something in particular about Texas. You know, that obviously we're talking about Houston here, but Dallas was the must-watch TV show. Yeah. Used to get monster ratings. Always thought the Dallas Cowboys used to be the coolest, biggest football team and stuff like that. So definitely, if you like great podcasts and you like the great state of Texas, then definitely tune in to, to Rob and Michelle. It's a great listen. And I'm talking about great listens. I'll introduce Alan again. Alan, the Detroit Tigers, just to wrap up for the week. You mentioned earlier on you've got a fairly challenging one coming up. You are unfortunate just to get edged out by the Indians in the first game of that series, 6-5, which I wonder if the next ones tonight and tomorrow might be just as close. Uh, And then you've got the Yankees. So where are you looking to finish up seven days from now? How many wins would you hope to get under the belt? Pessimistically, I mean, if, I think if the Tigers get three wins out of seven, they've got to be reasonably content with that. The Indians are watching more and more baseball, and you know a lot of the big name players. But the one guy, there's one guy in the Indians I've sort of seen him for a couple of years now. This guy Jose Ramirez, I think he's the third baseman. And to use one of Yorkshire Dave's descriptions earlier, he's he's a slightly stocky chap, as some of these baseball players tend to be. But he seems to be one of those guys. It's like the footballer who always scores against your team. Uh, he probably scores against every other team as well, but he's always there against the the Tigers. And uh, so no, he he's one of those guys that I just get I get frustrated when I see him coming there. So the Tigers have been going well. So yeah, we'll we'll get back on track after last night. The Yankees, I think the Yankees have come back into a bit of form recently. They were they were struggling a wee bit. I think it's about time we cut them back to the level they should be at. So perhaps if then if we get if we get swept by the Indians, then clearly my prediction is that we'll then be sweeping the Yankees. Well, we'll look to see if you if you're proven correct seven days from now, Alan. And certainly, on behalf, I'm also glad to give a, a shout out to all the stocky guys in baseball. As somewhat of a stocky junkie monkey myself, Dave Junior. Just before we wrap up, do you have any last words for the listeners? I'm just wondering how your own Mariners are faring this week, Richard. What's what's in store with you guys? Yeah, I mean, but the, the Oakland A's will be a real a real tough test. And as I say, we appear recently to certainly against the Padres in particular, giving up just a shed load of of runs. So hopefully they're not too shell shocked, having shipped 
31 runs to the Padres over 10 games. Uh, but we're a good start. We, we, we took care of the A's in, in the first game of the series. So if we could pick up at least one of the remaining two, we've got a series win in store. And as I say, it's my last chance of the year to try and see a, a victory over the Rangers. So I'm hoping that the, 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 the Texas version will be vanquished. When you mentioned the Padres, that you know, National League West, uh, from just having a quick look there, that looks a hell of a division. I know that Dave's uh, Dave's team are, are involved in a hell of a scrap going on there, but you know, San Diego Padres, the, the LA Dodgers, reigning world champs, the San Francisco Giants, who are outstanding. I think it. I do feel sorry. Colorado and Arizona seem to be you know, the kind of whipping boys, and given that you play your interleague rivals more often than other teams, that must be really pretty tough to be fans of those teams because. The other ones, if you excuse the pun regarding San Francisco, they're giants. They're absolutely three giant teams. And it must be quite hard just to spend the whole season. You know, at this point, you know they're nowhere near the playoffs. They're not going to get there. What do you do with the rest of your season? Because there's a lot of games left and there's no cups to play for. There's no, you know, it's World Series or bust. I, I think fans of those teams would just dodge the question. On that note, we'll bring a merciful end to this latest episode of the the Highland Bullpen Baseball Podcast. Remember, (laughs) remember getting to after starting the show boasting of the prime stake, we've ended up with a a lot of mince there. However, if you want to get some more high quality material, do check out all our, our previous podcasts, our previous episodes. Get in touch via social media. Are pictures better today than they've ever been? Does faster equal better or was smarter the way back in the day? So get in touch, let us know. But until next time, have a great week. Enjoy your baseball and we'll see you again in the Highland Bullpen.